CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. It's time for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for being with us uh, today once again. We have a packed agenda of news stories to discuss, so I want to get right to it uh, with our panel. Uh, It's Thursday, which means uh, Kevin Riley, the boss, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is uh, with me today. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Your your folks over at the AJC, like ours at GPB News, have their hands full with a lot to cover right now. Things sure are not slowing down, are they, Bill? But I guess that makes uh, makes for good political rewind shows. So I'm looking forward to talking today. Yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> We're also joined today by uh, Senator Kim Jackson. Uh, Senator Jackson is um, a uh, an Episcopal priest whose uh, mission is to serve the homeless community down at All Saints Episcopal Church in downtown Atlanta, which, Kim, right across from the uh, state capitol, right? Yeah, so it's Central Prez is where I, I my kind of home base is out of, but I did have oh, a I'm great Oh, I'm sorry. Privilege. Thank you. That's yeah. right. That's right. I did serve at All Saints, though, where Ed Lindsay uh, is a faithful <laughs> long-term member. So, Yeah, thank you for that correction. That's right. I remember now that Central Prez is the church right across the street. And, yes, while we're talking about him, Edward Lindsay a Sunday school teacher, which we've talked about before on the show, <laughs> with his Democratic uh, colleague, uh, Mary Margaret Oliver, has been teaching Sunday school there uh, for quite a while. Are you back to in-person services there, and is Sunday school kicking up again, Edward? A, a little bit uh, up in the air. Uh, it's scheduled to re uh, to restart with with uh, in-person, but of course the uh, the Delta variant has led to some questions about that. But I certainly hope. That uh, that we get everyone fully vaxxed and uh, be able to see each other again face to face because that's always a lot better discussions. And um, I might also add those, that Kim Jackson was one of my family's favorite priests, so we hate oh, we hated to see I, her move on. Um, well, thank you for saying that, um, Edward. Of course, uh, served for just about ten years as a member of the Georgia General Assembly. Uh, he served as a whip for uh, the governor for uh, part of his tenure there. And now he oversees the Georgia State Government Affairs team at Denton's, the world's largest law firm. We're also joined today by Professor Andra Gillespie. You all know her as a political science professor at Emory University. She is also the director of the James Weldon Johnson Institute for the Study of Race and Difference at Emory. Uh, Andra, how are things going with uh, students returning to campus and everything getting underway? Well, so far so good. First day of class was yesterday, so I met with my students and everything seemed okay, so I'm looking forward to a good semester. I think everybody's happy to see people in person and not be on a screen. Boy, I'll bet that's right. All right, let's get started. Um, Kevin Riley, we, we've all been wondering, once the FDA gave final approval to the uh, to the the vaccines against COVID-19, and in this case, the Pfizer vaccine got it first, just how uh, businesses, perhaps governments, would fall in line in making more uh, stringent decisions about about requiring vaccinations. And and, uh, Kevin, 
it strikes me that Delta yesterday announced uh, a, a, a rather dramatic uh, step in how they're going to deal with vaccinations. They are now saying that any employee who's not completely vaccinated will end up paying a $200 surcharge for their health insurance. Delta is a self-insured company. And in putting out a memo about this, Delta said, we spend about $50,000 on care for every COVID-19 patient who um, uh, develops the disease. And we think those costs need to be passed on to those of you who don't choose to be vaccinated. And on top of that, they are also saying that if you're unvaccinated and become sick with COVID-19 and have to miss work, you are not going to get paid for the time you miss. It's a dramatic step, Kevin. It sure is. And I do think that it signals very strongly where companies are going to start going. I mean, that surcharge you mentioned, you said $200. It is $200 a month. A month. And that's yeah. not a little bit of money for anybody. So I, I think it shows how seriously uh, Delta is, is certainly taking it. And, and I, you know, the other thing about this, I mean, I think you might say, hey, government has done all it can with, with getting people vaccinated. And the business community has decided that um, it's going to take the lead is, is how this looks. And um, the argument they're making is this is necessary and good for business, even if it does cost us employees and does cost some, cause some hard feelings. It, it seems clear the list of companies talking about doing these kinds of things grows every day. Um, it, it, Edward, it, the uh, Delta is also saying that $50,000 could very well be an underestimate of what they pay when, when yep. one of their people comes down with COVID. But one of the things I think is fascinating about this is that Delta is in a better position than some other companies um, because they really only, they don't have much union uh, 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 participation at the airline, the pilots' unions there, of course, and so they're not going to get the kind of pushback that some other companies might with strong uh, union affiliations, Edward. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, quite frankly, where the unions come down on, on this issue uh, in the long run. I, I have been uh, watching uh, this across the country uh, in which, uh, for instance, with uh, local school boards, uh, some mandating vaccinations and in some states where this, the unions are much stronger, uh, the, the unions are having to sort of grope with uh, w what to do with this and whether or not to support it or oppose it. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, the Delta variant has, has thrown everything into uh, a, an entirely different category where folks are um, were perhaps a little more tolerant of their uh, fellow brothers and sisters who didn't get vaccinated because of certain concerns that they may have. But now that they're seeing it impacting their ability to get back to a normal life, which everyone's eager to do so, uh, folks are more and more uh, becoming both individually and as businesses more and more willing to, to push uh, folks to be able to do so. So like uh, Kevin was mentioning, we're going to see more and more, not just businesses dealing with their employees, but businesses dealing with their customers uh, start to uh, demand well, if you want to come into our store, come into our restaurant, come into our theater, uh, we, uh, we're going to require that you be vaccinated. And I'll tell you, I, for one, am going to start looking for those, those places, and I'm going to start going to them because 
I want to support uh, the folks that are doing that because I, too, want to get back to a more normal life. And the best way for us to do so is through vaccination. If I can add one other thing interesting uh, in terms of the FDA, uh, I have two children who are in the military, and the military is expected to mandate it now that FDA has approved it uh, uh, on a regular basis. The, the military has said that they're going to start requiring all members of the military to get vaccinated. I found that fascinating. Andrew? So I hope we can come back to the military question later because I, I, I think uh, Bill might have some more questions about that. But I've already tweeted it out. I'm in full support of what Delta is doing, and I hope other people take this on. Um, you know, and thinking about what the surcharge is at Emory, if you smoke, you actually pay an extra $50 a month in your health insurance. So oh. it's not something that, you know, is unusual. And I think a $200, you know, a month penalty for not taking the vaccine, especially now that at least one of them has full approval, you know, might be the incentive to kind of get people. I understand that people feel coercive and I want to sort of help bring people along to help understand why this is in their best um, interest. But the debate about this has been going on too long and it's allowing sort of certain types of discussions that are unscientific and actually somewhat crazy to, to kind of infiltrate the space and take up room in ways that aren't particularly helpful. And so I don't want to sort of act like in loco parentis, but when people keep on doing stuff that's wrong, that actually affects other people and not just yourself, then I think there has to be a way for people to step in and whether it's government doing it or whether it's businesses not welcoming certain patrons or whether it's companies telling their employees, like, no, seriously, like, do this or your livelihood is threatened. I think we need to do all of that in order to, to, to get the numbers up because, unfortunately, we're not seeing people take the responsibility for themselves or assimilate the information to see um, that this is safe. You know, and Kim Jackson, add, I, um, yeah, go, you go ahead. You go ahead. I just want to add, I think this is a great move from Delta because, like Ed, um, I think that passengers are going to start looking and saying, oh, Delta is making sure their employees are getting vaccinated. Those are the planes that I want to ride. Um, you know, I want to know that it's going to be safer. And so I think it's a really smart move. Um, and fundamentally, it does cost a lot of money to treat COVID. So it makes sense that you would add a surcharge um, for those who choose not to get vaccinated who aren't able to. I, I hope that there's some small print there that does acknowledge that there's a very, very, very small part of our population whose doctors do not um, encourage that because of some immunodeficiency problems. So, uh, Kim Jackson, let, let me ask you this question. Um, there are people who have been saying all along that while Governor Kemp is certainly uh, not Greg Abbott uh, in, in Texas, uh, he's certainly not Ron DeSantis in Florida in the kind of hardline right-wing approach he's taken to the virus, there are people who think he just really hasn't gone far enough to say, yes, I'm vaccinated. Gee, I encourage other people to talk to their doctors. It's individual choice, but you probably should get vaccinated. So I'm kind of wondering if business starts taking the lead in as aggressive a way as Delta has done, I think Piedmont Healthcare now, Cox at its uh, corporate campuses, all requiring vaccinations for their employees. Um, I wonder if business is going to sort of shame some governments into taking stronger action um, in the leadership in those governments themselves. 
Yeah, so I'm not sure I would use the word shame. I think in, in politics, we talk about people giving us cover. So when our constituents step up and um, they begin to demand something, they give me as a as a state senator some cover to take some bold moves. And so I, I think that by having Delta and Cox and other major employees step up, then that will give um, that will give a signal to the governor that he can step up to and provide him some cover to know that there are some really faithful and loyal constituents who stand with him in this and say, Saying, okay, we need to be more aggressive about this. There are too many of our folks who are dying. Our hospitals are full here in Georgia, right? I mean, we talk about Southwest Georgia, who was already hit so hard, and now they're, you know, once again finding themselves in such a difficult place. And so I think these companies, they don't shame the governor. I actually don't know that he's very capable of being shamed, um, but they do give him some cover and some encouragement uh, to step up and to really push even harder than he already has been. Thank you for using Bill, a more positive um, word than I did, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, Bill, um, I think it also, and I, I'm curious to see what Ed thinks about this as a Republican. To me, this this whole debate has sort of shown these odd fissures in, in I don't know if I'd call it Republican circles, uh, conservative circles or what, because, you know, part of the argument has been this sort of confused libertarian idea that it's a up to an individual. And of course, a core conservative principle is individual responsibility, right? So, I mean, to me, it's just an odd thing to say, well, I, I get to make my own choices and it's okay for me to make a choice that is by every single piece of evidence, dangerous to yourself and dangerous to others. And now we have this new core principle intruding for Republicans and conservatives, which is business. We, we are the we are the um, party of we are the supporters of business. And now we have business saying we need to do this. This is bad for business. So again, I, I think for some of the positions people have taken, they're just running out of reasons. Well, to sort of to build on what Kevin was saying. I mean, there, there are a couple of uh, fundamental Republican principles here that should encourage uh, the ability of these private entities to do what they're doing, oh, and for that matter, local school boards to do what they're doing. Uh, what, the first is a bedrock uh, belief that we should give wide discretion to uh, private business. We should also respect private property rights. That fits with folks who run their private businesses to encourage the use of vaccinations and also uh, businesses that have folks coming onto their property to demand that they uh, that their patrons be vaccinated. That fits within those core Republican principles. And yes, there is the, the libertarian side also that's very fundamental in terms of, of, of giving people wide discretion. But like Kevin said, it also with with broad rights and broad discretion comes uh, broad responsibilities. And uh, so I think that uh, that in terms of the, the fundamental Republican principles that that these businesses uh, and you know, operating uh, are on solid ground. And I certainly hope that uh, Governor Kemp uh, respects that, as he has so far. And he has also respected uh, local school boards uh, who have made certain decisions and resisted some pressure from folks who want to try to mandate from the state in terms of what local school boards can do. Uh, I think that we need to be giving those local school boards uh, the broad discretion to decide what's best for their students as well. 
Andra, I, I, let me get you in here again, and then you too, Kim. But but let me point out, when we talk about Republicans and whether they might be coming around, I don't think it's going to be lost on any number of Georgia Republicans, legislators, others running for office, that when Donald Trump uh, told people at his rally in Alabama last week they should get vaccinated, he was booed by the crowd. That sends a strong signal, I think, to Republicans, they still have to approach this cautiously. Well, yeah, I mean, I think there's always going to be a group of people who are never going to get vaccinated, no matter what you do um, to them. Um, and so we're going to have to factor that into the models in terms of trying to figure out, you know, when we're going to get to herd immunity um, and the rest. Um, and I think that that is also sort of an important tell about what leadership is, like who was actually leading from the front and who's leading from behind there and sort of, you know, how much of this was pandering or how much of this was actually sort of genuine, sort of sincere leadership. But, I mean, at least as far as Governor Kemp is concerned, um, you know, his approach, especially after he lost some of his emergency um, powers, has been to be somewhat more passive about it. And so I'm probably a little less sanguine. Um, than Senator Jackson about this. I actually think that what he's going to do is he's just going to sit back and he's going to let private business start to mandate things that are going to have an important ripple effect overall in the economy. And he'll use that as a reason to say that he didn't have to legislate because the market took care of it. Um, and so, you know, you know, so I think we have to take that and the not going after school boards for making decisions um, or not enforcing, you know, using preemption, even though it's technically on the books to try to not, you know, um, to try to sort of put down uh, local mass mandates in certain places. That's probably more of what we're going to see than something that looks act- that looks more active and that also looks like he's reversing some of his previous statements. Mm. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right, that we're going to see more of a I'm not stopping you from making these choices versus a, a, we're going to give a mandate that mandates that you can't have masks. Um, so I, I think that's probably accurate. I will say I've spoken with a number of my Republican colleagues who are serving in um, areas of, of rural Georgia where population rates of vaccination are in 20, 30 percent. They're really low. And um, I'll just say that those those gentlemen really are working hard to get their folks vaccinated. Um, and uh, I, I don't know how often I get to say this about my Republican colleagues, but I am proud of a number of my senators who are serving in those southern areas for all of the flack that they have taken. Um, they've taken some really, really hard hits, and they have continued to stand and say, we need people to get vaccinated. This is really important. I will continue to push this message out on social media to fight against some misinformation. Um, it's it's hard right now to be a Republican who actually believes in vaccine, vaccines in the South. Um, and they're doing it. So I'm really, really proud of those men for stepping up. And they are men. That's why I use that word. Um, and they really are a ton of, and they're taking a lot of hits as a result of it. So it'll be interesting to see if they end up getting primaried um, by anti-vaxxers as a result of it. That'll be uh, what we'll see in the future is to see what actual consequences it has for them taking such a firm stand. Okay. It's going to be interesting, Kevin, to watch in the days and weeks ahead um, we, we say often the business takes the lead in important issues. Um, last year, a great many businesses uh, got deeply involved in Black Lives Matter for the first time and really stepped up and showed their concern about equal justice for all. And this may be another moment in which we see businesses, one after the other, uh, decide it's time for them to uh, be in the forefront of protecting all of us against this uh, virus. 
And, you know, another factor here is there's been a lot of uh, coverage of the difficulty with attracting and, re- and retaining employees, right? And I do think that um, there's, you know, as, as everyone's pointed out, you know, Kim in particular pointed out, yeah, I mean, Delta probably, you know, they've been pretty successful company and pretty wise about a lot of things. And so they're positioning themselves as we're the safe airline. We're the airline you want to fly at a time when, you know, they hope travel will come back. But I also think companies are saying, look, um, when we think about the kind of employees that we have to compete for, this is also a good position for us to take. It just is because, again, they're wise about the kind of people they want to attract. Uh, and, and companies know, you know, where um, where they need to go for their future employees. And I, I think that that's another factor of what they're doing is is they're they are going to take the lead because it's in their business interests as well. It probably is the, the correct social and leadership position to take. But in the end, it has to make business sense for them, too. And it apparently does. Well, the bottom line, Bill, is that um, that, that pandemics are bad for business, and I'll pass it back to Andre. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we should also make this personal. Uh, you know, Kim has said this already, and I, I heard this on the news last night. Um, you know, it's cheaper to get a vaccine than it is to be stuck in the hospital with COVID. Um, so, just from a personal bottom line, I would much rather do that in terms of absolute dollar cost, but actually also in terms of the time that it takes. You know, away, even if you have side effects from. Um, from the vaccine. I did it and it, I got over it in two days. So, um, you know, that, that's, an, I think, an important sort of personal cost-benefit analysis to do is, is that do you want the, the $1,500,000 bill sort of after the fact or not? Edward, let me give you the last word before to, we break. Actually, I was going to throw it back to Andre and a quick question. Because <laughs> uh, young people oftentimes are also another group that are, are, are not being vaxxed at the rate that they should. Is she seeing that attitude among her students at Emory? Uh, well, they're all required to be vaccinated. So there's a very narrow band of exemptions that you could have. So all students were required to be vaccinated. And so, and I and other people had to talk uh, with their students. One of my friends at Georgia State told people, if I die because of COVID behind y'all, I'm haunting you all. Um, and so, you know, we had to tell people, <laughs> you know, I think everybody gave the speech the first day of class, you're wearing masks in here because we're allowed to do that unlike you know uh you know schools in the university of, of, of georgia system and uh please be responsible don't do some of the stuff like go off to off-campus parties where people are behaving irresponsibly where you might get a breakthrough infection and then start to infect other people so um you know so far so good and you know i've been really proud of my administration and we have been empowered so that if we see somebody who is not in compliance we can kick them out of the classroom and we can report them so that, you know, somebody can talk to them. And if they don't do what they're supposed to do, you know, they will, you know, be asked to, you know, leave campus. So I wish other schools kind of had that flexibility and had the administrative backing to be able to, to enforce those rules for everybody's safety. Kim Jackson, one last question before we have to get to our first break. You've got a special session of the Georgia legislature coming up to do redistricting probably, what, November, it looks like now, maybe. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, certainly, there have been masking rules in place um, at, 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 in the legislative sessions, but I wonder how people like Jeff Duncan on your side of the building and uh, David Ralston on the House side, what they might want to do about uh, how they address you all being vaccinated before you come back. That'll be an interesting political 
uh, issue to ta- think about. It will be. I, I will say that um, <clears throat> that they've already brought back testing, so I can go back and get tested every Wednesday um, at the Capitol, thanks to the technology and the, the grace that um, we received from Georgia Tech. And so I suspect that um, just like in the regular session, we'll probably be tested um, twice a week. Um, I hope that mask requirements will come back to the floor, especially for those on the Senate side, because we're not socially distanced. We're sitting beside each other. Um, but I'd be really surprised if we heard about some type of vaccine mandates um, coming from that place. But I I do think testing surveillance will show back up. Kevin, final word. Well, you know, another thing to think about, uh, you know, is that, of course, Kim is thinking, and your question was about the actual legislators. But, you know, my concern is I have a group of journalists who are in that building and required to be around those folks. And so mm-hmm. it matters to me greatly what the safety precautions are because I want them to be safe and healthy. Ed works for a big law firm that I, I understand does a little bit of lobbying over there. Um, and, of course, uh, Andrea, I don't know if they're your students, but there are many students who uh, need the opportunity and and ought to have the opportunity to get over to the legislature. And so this is not, this is what we're talking about earlier. It's not just like a single person. It's, it's an entire society. It's an entire realm of activity in our state capital that is affected by these choices in these rules and the possibilities of uh, strong mandates. Okay. Um, thank you all for a really uh, uh, fascinating conversation about all of that. We'll obviously keep track of what happens moving forward with vaccinations now that FDA has approved the Pfizer and soon will appro- uh, approve, no, no doubt, Moderna and Johnson & Johnson as well. All right, let's take our first break of the show. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Senator Kim Jackson, Professor Andrew Gillespie, former State Representative Edward Lindsay, and Senator Kim Jackson join us for today's Political Rewind. Kevin Riley, two words, Herschel Walker. He's in it. He still has not given us a lot of information about exactly how he is going to run his campaign for the U.S. Senate, but most people agree that he is the instant frontrunner in that battle. Before we uh, give everybody a chance to talk about this, I do think we ought to play a little sound from Gary Black. Gary Black, of course, agriculture commissioner, popular in the state of Georgia on both sides of the aisle, a very low-key, I think most people agree, likable guy. And he released a video yesterday responding to Herschel, which established just that tone as he, in a rather backhanded way, uh, took some shots at Herschel Walker. Let's just listen. Herschel, welcome back to Georgia. Welcome to the U.S. Senate race. You know, I've been a big fan of yours since we were in college together. Before you moved away, I suppose I've always wanted an autograph, but there's some things that are far more important now. The future of our country, the future of our families. So I want to invite you to a discussion about this. And it, it starts with where I'm going to be in the coming months, all over Georgia. Really, maybe it wouldn't be a better place than Perry this Saturday, the 8th District Fish Fry. We need to have this discussion. It's about the future of our country. I'm Gary Black. I'm running for the U.S. Senate. 
So, Kevin, Gary Black, before you moved away, Herschel, and then when he talks about all over Georgia in the video, we see him hold up an outline of the state of Georgia and sweep his finger around in a 360-degree arc. But, Kevin, here's this, you know, it's it's a clever uh, response, but here's one of the things that, of course, it, it points to. And that is that Herschel Walker, we've been talking about him for months. He's been, his people and he have been dropping hints that he's going to get in. But he has been not present at all in any way in any of the events that Republicans in Georgia are going to as candidates. And Gary Black is very clever in how he points that out in terms of this Perry event this weekend. Kevin? Yeah, well, let's keep something in mind, though, as, as a practical matter. And I know Gary, and he, he is a, I think, a wonderful man and respected by anyone who's ever dealt with him or worked with him. Um, it, you can walk up to a lot of people in Georgia and ask him if they know who Gary Black is, and a lot of them wouldn't know. And you can walk up to almost anyone and ask them if they know who Herschel Walker is, and they would. So Gary's got a steep hill to climb. Not only does he have to create awareness about himself, but he's got to try to define himself as a better choice than Herschel Walker. And um, I don't envy him. I, I mean, I, I uh, wouldn't want to run against Herschel Walker, and I wouldn't want to have to tackle him. Andre? So, I mean, I will say that uh, I, I think you are not giving sort of the Gary Black response justice. In the parlance of, of reality TV, that was some beautiful shade. Like, that was just like artfully <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, done. And, and, and so, and while, yeah, um, you know, what Black is trying to attack is this idea of the cult of personality. And so the cult of personality definitely does propel Walker into frontrunner status. But the question is, does that hold out over time? So if we think about, say, the ways that, um, you know, John Ossoff was able um, to beat David Perdue, part of it was by showing up to stuff he wouldn't show up to um, and talking about his ideas, whether you like them or not, um, um, and at least, you know, you know, giving the appearance that he had thought through and thought about issues. So I think it's going to be really hard for Walker, even with sort of the support of Donald Trump, who has clearly felt, uh, felt the world of him for years. If you go back and read the art of the deal, he's talking about Herschel Walker there. So clearly that relationship is real and goes back a long period of time. There, you know, he's, he's going to have to actually sort of stand up to public scrutiny. He's going to have to answer to his ideas. You know, he's been on Fox and given softball interviews where he really doesn't have to say stuff and have to talk about details. And uh, that's where he's going to have to prove himself, and he's going to have to prove himself in terms of organization. I'll just throw this out there to kind of watch where this is coming from. I'm thinking about this because I watch old TV, so for anybody under, like, 60, you probably <laughs> never saw it in real life. But the final season of the Dick Van Dyke show, there is this two-episode arc where uh, Rob Petrie is, uh, is asked to run for city council because he's nice and cute and good-looking, and he runs against Wally Cox, and he gets into debates with Wally Cox. And Wally Cox, if people remember from, like, 1950 shows, is always kind of nebbish and nerdy, goes through and blows him out, sort of, in terms of his, his grasp of policy detail. And sort of in a perfect universe, Rob Petrie looks at that and is like, you know what, I can't stand up against that. Like, this is the guy who should actually sort of be city councilman. I think Gary Black is looking for that kind of moment to be able to demonstrate a grasp and a command of the issues. And if, if Walker still beats him there... Raphael Warnock now has, you know, a year, year and a half worth of experience in the Senate where he can do the same thing. 
And so, you know, it's, this is not just a popularity contest. I think that there are people, you know, there are Democrats who love Herschel Walker, the football player, who are not going to be swayed by this either. So he's going to have to make sure that he like, does everything to present himself as a serious candidate. Okay, okay, Kim, I want you to jump in, but Andre, I have two words for you. Tommy Tuberville, who <laughs> became senator in Alabama without having a whole lot going for him other than his football status. <laughs> go ahead, Andre, real quick. Or Kim, go ahead. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I have nothing against football players being members of Congress. There are some who have performed admirably. Um, but do you want to be the senator who doesn't know what the three branches of government are? Um, and then I'm also <laughs> going to point out that, uh, you know, there is a racial difference there. And I don't know how forgiving people are going to be of the black guy not knowing what the three branches of government are. So he's going to have to do his homework. Yeah, I Him mean, and then Edward. Yeah, I, I'm actually really interested to watch how this plays out. I, I think it's in the Republicans' best interest that Herschel Walker not become the, the candidate. Um, it's in the Democrats' uh, best interest that he does. Um, but I think that uh, it'll be interesting to see. So I grew up in black church where um, we are really great at uh, highlighting people's gifts and skills and kind of containing them. So if you have a pastor who's not real good with the whole, like, people skills thing, then you, you create this container around them where you bring them out just for the preaching moment they preach they're on fire they're great then you put a you know you put a cloak on top of them and and escort them out and say you know he's praying in the holy spirit until everybody's gone uh and and that i i'm, I'm curious to see if that might be the, the strategy that Herschel Walker uses, right? So, um, you know, we watch his video. Clearly, he's great on the track. He's still really, he's got those dips. I mean, he's almost a 60-year-old man who can uh, run faster than I can, right? Um, so I'll be curious to see if his team just kind of insulates him and allows him to, you know, show his great prowess on the field. Uh, and and then he just doesn't do any debates. I mean, David Perdue refused to do any debates, right? So there is a model for that. So I'm curious to see if he actually ever has to prove himself when it comes to policy issues. I, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I think we're living in a different kind of political time where it is possible that uh, he will be able to run solely on the merits of his football record and his Olympic uh, his Olympic um, appearance and not necessarily on the content of his actual knowledge. I think that's possible. All right, Edward, you're the Republican on the panel. I saved you for last. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Um, I and a lot of other uh, Republicans have been questioning whether or not uh, Herschel Walker's best day on the campaign trail will be uh, his first and whether or not it will go downhill from there. But, you know, but let's give the guy some credit and his team some credit. His first day was pretty good. Uh, while we have been talking about Gary Black's video in response, uh, Herschel Walker's opening video was, was, to put it bluntly, damn good in terms of responding to the, well, uh, are you a true Jordan -ish, Georgian issue? So th that was good. Uh, I do, however, share a lot of the other skepticism that folks have mentioned. Kevin uh, mentioned that he wouldn't want to uh, to get into a, a race with him. If, if this was a sprint, I would say that uh, Herschel Walker will win. Uh, but this is a marathon, and things can change. Uh, and not only do you have Gary Black, who is a who is a uh, established good candidate with lots of deep uh, support here in Georgia, but you've got some newcomers in that Republican primary as well. Uh, uh, Latham Sadler, for instance, 
uh, has raised a lot of money, very attractive young man, very knowledgeable on the issues, former Navy SEAL, uh, very strong when it comes to a business background. So, I mean, you've got some some very good candidates on the Republican side, and it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how things go. Um, you know, I, I love debates. You know, I'm a policy guy like Andre is, but I have come to to regretfully uh, believe that debates are overrated in terms of who wins and who loses in uh, in political races. Uh, a lot of folks are more interested in that emotional connection that they have with a candidate rather than where they stand on particular issues. And as a matter of fact, there was a great book by an Emory professor on just this issue a few years ago. Andre probably can remember the name of the book. They dealt with the, the emotional oh, connection. Yeah, yeah that's great. Uh, I, but anyway, a great book that anybody who's interested in politics and wants to know how you win elections needs to read that book. But so anyway, there's that, that emotional connection that, 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 Walker, as well as all the other candidates, need to make. And quite frankly, uh, Senator Warnock learned that in his ads. Uh, His ads were not terribly long on policy issues, but in terms of an emotional connection to the voter, they were great ads uh, in terms of establishing that emotional connection. And that's what not only Walker, but but Black and, and Sadler and the others need to be able to make that connection. And that's usually retail here in Georgia. So uh, Walker needs to get out there and impress the flesh. And why he's not doing it, I don't know, because he would draw a crowd wherever he goes. So let's just, we'll see where it goes from here. Kevin? So Bill, I hope you'll indulge me for a moment here, because for those of you who, who don't maybe know or aren't as familiar with the legend of Herschel Walker, I, I, I would recommend reading our Mark Bradley, uh, Bradley's column this morning in the AJC. And Bill, I just got I, I to point out my favorite part of it. I mean, when, when Herschel was being recruited, uh, it, it went on for a long time because back then prospects usually signed up in February, but he waited till April. And so here's Mark Bradley. I can't say it any better than he he can. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution scared Georgia when it reported that a man named John Robinson had checked into the Macon Marriott, John Robinson being the name of the University of Southern California's head coach. This John Robinson was a salesman from Iowa who couldn't understand why the phone in his room was ringing off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so Herschel Walker was in high school when this started, and that is a long time ago. And as we were talking before we got on the air, there are a lot of Georgians who weren't even born who are voters, a, a big bunch of people who are voters now. But his legend, uh, his legend lives on. I, I, I don't want to drag on the Herschel Walker conversation. Uh, you know, if, for people out there who yesterday said, why would you spend so much time on Herschel? Because it's an important political development. And there's one aspect of it we haven't talked about yet, Andra and Kim. And that is, we all know that Raphael Warnock became the first African-American United States senator from the state of Georgia uh, in the special election. And now, I guess, the question becomes, Andra, regardless of party uh, affiliation of the African-American voters out there, to what extent is Herschel going to have the power, do we think, to draw perhaps African-American votes away from Raphael Warnock? How do you look at that, Andra and then Kim? 
Um, so I, I, I don't actually assume that that's going to change anything sort of about partisan voting behavior um, among African-Americans. Um, and for anybody who thought that that was going to happen, um, especially if they're directly advising Walker, um, I think that that was actually a crass miscalculation. Um, and so, like, that's just tokenism to the hilt um, and, and, and wildly inappropriate. So, you know, part of this is where substance matters. And I do want to point out that, yes, while I'm not denying sort of the cachet that Walker has, um, and the emotional tie that people have, we also have to keep in mind he's running against an incumbent. He's not running for an open seat um, the -hmm. way, you know, Kelly Leffler was last year for all intents and purposes or, um, you know, the way Tommy Tuberville was. So um, when you're running against an incumbent, you have to bring a little bit extra to the table. And, you know, if uh, Republicans thought or think that by nominating um, you know, nominating Walker or nominating Kelvin King, for that matter, that all of a sudden blacks are going to give them a second look. No, I mean, part of it is also looking at what the, uh, you know, what the substance is of, of what they're saying. And so if they are, you know, not saying things about civil rights, if they're taking stances that are actually anti-civil rights, um, then um, that's definitely going to be a turnoff to, to, to African-American voters. Um, the reason why blacks are voting Democratic in such strong numbers is because most black voters uh, believe that right now the Democratic Party uh, is the best party to advance the interests of blacks as a group. Um, and so just putting forward any black Republican isn't going to cause that type of defection. Um, you know, despite, you know, the uh, Republican Party efforts to the contrary, Herman Cain's pronouncements, you know, when he ran for president, he was going to get 30 percent of the vote. There was, there's absolutely no evidence to substantiate it and a lot of evidence to the contrary that says that that's not what's going to happen. Yeah, you know, because Jim we Jackson? don't know – because we don't actually know where Herschel Walker stands on some policy issues, um, there there is some I can imagine some places where he could actually make some pivots and maybe uh, collect some moderates. And they it won't necessarily be based along skin color, but he has a great opportunity to really take a pivot and talk about mental health in a way that's meaningful and important and critical, particularly at this time, right? Um, as we are talking about mental health issues as it relates to COVID, to what it means to have been in isolation for sixteen months. I mean, uh, you know, he has, Herschel Walker has a testimony to tell around that. Um, and I think if he wanted to, and if this were aligned with his own values, he could make a pivot to talk about the importance of us um, encouraging access to mental health that might help him pick up some moderates. But it's not because of his black skin that he'll pick those up. It'll have to be because of some messaging that really resonates with the hearts and minds of so many of us who are thinking critically every day about um, the ways that uh, COVID has impacted our mental health and, and just the mental health of our country in general. Okay, I do. Edward, I'm going to give you the last word on this one. Uh, I do think there are Republicans who believe that because here's Walker is African-American, but also because he's a sports star, that he does have the potential to draw African-American votes away from uh, the Democratic Party. And I think both Andra and Kim uh, really underline what a cynical uh, uh, sort of perspective that is. Well, I'm shocked that anyone would think that certain parts of politics are cynical uh, because, you know, folks on both sides of the political aisle someday sometimes play these sort of games. The fact of the matter is Herschel Walker is going to first have to get through a, a tough Republican primary, like I said, a marathon, not a sprint, against some well-qualified opponents. He's going to have to show his chops and show that he's viable. If he does manage to get through that Republican primary, we're going to then have to see how he does in, in a general election stacked up against uh, Senator Warnock. 
and then move on from there. Whether or not he can attract additional African-American votes or not, well, if he if he earns it, he will. Uh, but he's going to have to be able to speak to the issues that the that the African-American community is concerned about, just like he's going to have to answer to the concerns that every other community has uh, within our state. So, um, you know, we'll see where we go from here. But it's going to be uh, – he, he's got a long road. He's a um, – you know, on the political scene, he's basically unknown. And we're going to just have to see how well he does. I have my doubts, too. I got to get to a break. Uh, I know, Andre Gillespie, you want to weigh in. We'll get to you right after these messages. Quick note about tomorrow's show. Last week, I read a fascinating article about Benjamin Franklin, who was a very outspoken advocate of people being vaccinated against smallpox. His young son, his four-year-old son, had had other kinds of weak illnesses that had weakened his system. And so Franklin put off having him inoculated. And as a result of that, his son, Frankie Francis, died of smallpox at age four, which Franklin later wrote was one of the greatest tragedies of his life. Vaccines have been with us now for hundreds of years, and there are fascinating, important stories about the history of vaccines. And we're going to talk about them tomorrow with truly one of the great global heroes of public health, Dr. Bill Fagey, former CDC director, and the man who is a young public health officer, led the effort that led to the eradication of smallpox, the only disease that has ever been entirely eradicated. I'm very excited about having Bill Fagey back on the show, and we'll do that tomorrow. All right. You know, I wanted to talk about the spaceport. I keep having to put it off, but you are all so interesting and entertaining about Herschel Walker. I'm not going to give it up quite yet. Andre Gillespie? I just wanted to say one thing. I mean, the idea of people that might vote for a sports hero or a black sports hero or a celebrity in general, yeah, there are breakthrough cases where people do win office, but it's not a surefire win. And so my response to that was excellent, Swan, how that worked out. He never became governor of Pennsylvania, though. Um, I would argue that Lynn Swan was just as beloved in Pennsylvania as, as Herschel Walker is here. Okay, thank you uh, very much for that. Kim? Yeah, and I, I just want to add, you know, if we're going to ask the question about how many votes can Herschel Walker pick up from the black community as a result of his being black and being a celebrity, and we have to ask the inverse question of how many votes will he lose um, in terms of white people not being interested or willing to vote for a white man. Um, we still live in that reality where there are just going to be some conservative white folks who aren't going to want to cast a ballot for a white for a black guy. Um, so I, I think I think it's just important for us to have that question, that conversation as well. Edward, I'm interested in the fact that uh, while media like me here at GPB, like uh, Greg Bluestein at the AJC, have all been reporting that uh, Herschel Walker enters the race as the clear frontrunner and the most likely nominee for the Republican nomination, you've been a little bit, uh, you seem a little bit uh, more uncertain about his future than I think a lot of Republicans might be on this show. Tell us why. Well, I've seen an awful lot of front runners who uh, <laughs> who die uh, in in the long run uh, that come in uh, that that come out uh, with a big splash that well he can't possibly be beat. He's going to d- dominate the field, and then uh, as every day passes, they just sort of chips away slowly. 
uh, and and then at the very end, they end up falling way behind. Uh, I've been involved in too many campaigns where, I've, like I said, I've, I've, I've seen somebody come out of the gate really fast and then fade quickly. And the question is, gets back to some points that Andre raised earlier in particular. Uh, you know, where is he going to be uh, out there on the trail? Where is he going to be in terms of when he starts having to answer some hard questions? And there, there's no way over how many months do we have? Ten months, uh, nine or ten months between now and the primary that he's going to be able to consistently avoid all these questions. Might be able to do so if it was a 30-day sprint. But over a nine-month period of time, I, I do have my, my doubts about him. Um, and we'll just have to see whether or not he can rise to the occasion. Um, he's, he's, it's totally unknown at this point, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Kevin, we're going to all be watching this race, uh, very, very closely, of course. And, and the question keeps arising, well, where does he stand on the issues? I'm, I know this is a naive and, and maybe ill-informed question, but I wonder to what extent of the Republican party, particularly issues beyond whether you support the ideas of Donald Trump or not make much difference at all at this point. Yeah, you know, Bill, I think if you watch that uh, campaign ad, you know, that sort of launch ad that uh, Herschel Walker put out there, um, I get that he's Trump's preferred candidate. But some of what he talked about, uh, I don't know, matches up very well with uh, the way uh, Donald Trump talked about things. I mean, and and I I think it's as Ed points out, I mean, it's a long, tough thing. And and look, we've seen this before, you know. Uh, campaigning is hard. <laughs> it is a real job. And we're talking about someone here who's accomplished an awful lot in his life and, you know, has wealth and reputation and all of that. And things can go wrong. I mean, uh, Kelly Leffler lost, even though she was incumbent, she had no end to the money that she could spend. And so this is, this is, uh, a tough thing. It's a lot of work to run for statewide office in Georgia. Let's be honest. And you got to ask yourself, um, there's many places where you can trip and, uh, will it, will just Donald Trump saying, Hey, vote for this guy be enough. Um, is I think a big question in our state. All right. I'm afraid we're out of time for the show today. And I really wish we weren't because I really made it. You all have not only been really insightful, but you've been more entertaining <laughs> than a lot of panels we have on this show. Andre Gillespie, you get credit for being the very first person in the seven plus years we've been on the air to invoke the names of Dick Van Dyke and Wally Cox <laughs> on Political Rewind. And... Uh, uh, and and uh, uh, Reverend uh, uh, Dr. Jackson, you're the one who told us about the ministers who are great preachers, but then have to be rushed out of the church because they're not very good at dealing with their parishioners one-on-one. Thank you for those really interesting remarks. And thank you all for being with us. We will talk about the Camden County Spaceport uh, it, sometime in September, FAA is going to decide on whether to approve it or not. It's very controversial and certainly worthy of conversation in the days ahead on our show. That's it for us today. Please come back with Dr. Bill Fagey tomorrow. He is truly, if you've heard him on this show before, one of the most fascinating people in public health you could ever want to listen to. I'm Bill Nygut. Take care. Stay healthy. Please wear your mask indoors. And if you know somebody who hasn't been vaccinated yet, please suggest to him now is the time to do it. Take care, everybody.